All right, so I get the pleasure of introducing someone I haven't had the pleasure of introducing in, in quite some time now. Um, Matthew Widmer is a deep well, and uh, it's been filling, and it gets filled and filled and filled. I was thinking about this morning, and I was thinking about um, how one, after he got saved in high school, he and a couple teenagers we would meet together and we'd go through just different studies. Um, we'd gone to different conferences together. He, he's always been chasing after the Lord. You know, he's always so busy, right? And you put the, the title doctor there and people go, oh, well, you're just busy all the time. And he is. And they've got a, a big family, right? And then he's got the military going on. And so there's all these things. And yet in the center of that, I know that I know that I know because I've known him for so long is Jesus. And so busyness has kept him out of this place for some time, but I guarantee it's kind of like a good wine that's been fermenting, right? You know, you, you let the wine sit and it ferments and good stuff comes out. So I, I want you to welcome him this morning and just be prepared to receive the wine that he's about to pour out. Amen. So welcome him. I got old school paper today. No PowerPoint. I know. All right. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that um, the word that comes forth would come from your heart um, and that the wisdom that would come forth would be from your mouth and your lips. And just bless this time, bless this word, and just write it on the hearts of the people in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been hinting at this leadership summit. We've been hinting at a kind of a theme and a vision coming from uh, Pastor Fred and our apostleship on the seven mountains, the seven spheres, however you want to describe it, seven arenas, uh, if you will. And um, I felt like as we're starting to look towards that, as we're starting to move towards that, as there's more to come on that, especially moving into the leadership summit, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure beyond. It's not a topic or a vision that is a quick one uh, or something that's going to be over and done with soon and shortly. It, it just is an ongoing vision. Um, I felt like, and the Lord was speaking to me, that really it is a time, um, both as a church and really as a people, um, outside of just this body, but as a church at large, that we start utilizing the practical tools and the giftings that we have towards moving out into those seven spheres. You know, there, there's some, you know, we can't just go through it and blunder our way through it and, and hope it all works for the best, and God is gracious, but um, there are some things I think that will make us a lot more efficient and will make us a lot more purposeful and makes a lot more impactful yeah, if we incorporate them and get them into our heart first as we then go out. So that's a little lead up, uh, a backstory on, on where I think this is going today. So I do have a few scriptures that I'm going to go through inter intermittently here. I did create a title this morning for Russell so he could put it on the, online. Um, there's different ways to say this, but really the title of this is um, Praying Offensively, not Offensively, Offensively, as in not defense. And I... And that really summarizes what I think is one of the main tools that we need to utilize. And that it is really the, the tool that I'm going to be discussing today. So Luke 11, 1 through 4. In the New Testament, the disciples um, had spent a lot of time with Jesus. They had traveled around with him quite a bit. They had seen and done a lot of things. And so um, 
Let's just start at the top there in verse one. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So it's a very familiar prayer. A lot of people call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it is the Lord's Prayer because he didn't really pray it. He taught his disciples to pray it. Um, But that's what it's called. And that's what a a lot of us know it as, as the Lord's Prayer. But I think it's interestingly to note here that the disciples had spent a lot of time with him. They saw a lot of miracles. They got to participate in a lot of miracles. But the thing they asked him was, teach us how to pray. It wasn't, teach us how to raise the dead. It wasn't, I mean, we can all think of, if we got to spend, you know, any time with Jesus right now, currently in our lives, what would be the thing we would ask him for to teach us how? And prayer may not be at the top of that list. But for them, that was at the top of their list, teach us how to pray. So I think that really should make us then take note, okay, that's very important. That's an important tool that we need to have and we need to take hold of because it was the thing the disciples wanted, wanted to know better. Going to uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Again, he's talking to the disciples and he's talking to them about prayer. Pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. So this is another, this is Matthew's version of, and it was, if you read through that chapter, it almost was seeming like it was in two different Areas where God, where the Lord was reinitiating to them how to pray. Um, most of us learn how to pray going through our life, even in church, uh, defensively or reactionarily. Okay, we have a crisis um, either in the world, in our personal life, in the church, finances, health. Uh, you know. You're in the midst of Ukraine and you're being attacked. I mean, we, we, we tend to learn to pray out of crisis, which isn't wrong to pray when there's a crisis. Um, it isn't wrong to pray when there is a problem that arises. But most of us learn how to pray that way. Um, and, and it's just what we, we become very familiar with. We get good at it. You know, there's a crisis. We turn to God and we pray. Um, and there's many examples of that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament and prophets saying, you know, turn your heart to the Lord and pray and, uh, you know, so that you'll be saved and this army won't come and destroy you. And so, you know, it's not wrong. I don't want to disparage that. And I don't want to say that we should stop doing that. Um, however, I would submit that really that's not God's heart for the best for us to constantly be praying out of crisis, out of reaction. Um, no different than you would look at your children and say, when do you want to teach your children? When do you want to impart your, to your children? Is it only when they are in crisis? Certainly when they're in crisis, you love it when they, um, maybe not love it, but you accept it that they come to you, they're in crisis. You want to help them. You love them. You want to, you know, see what you can do to support them. But it would also be nice if they sought your heart or sought, sought your counsel or whatever, when it wasn't in times of crisis, because maybe, just maybe, you could help prevent that crisis from occurring. Uh, so if we think about it in that vein, it really, I think, helps us to think about it in the way of our Heavenly Father, 
And really, there's a better way. There's a better way. Not that we can maybe forget about the crisis praying altogether, because it's not wrong, but maybe there's a better way than what we've come to learn. And I, I don't know how many of you have learned that, but I mean, that I go back through my Christian life, and that's how we've learned. Not that that's the only time I've ever prayed in my life, but it, probably the more times where I've prayed more fervently in my life. All right? Okay. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. All right, maybe it's not in chapter nine. So the story is, is the disciples were attempting to cast out a demon-possessed individual. And I'm, I'm missing the, the chapter and verse here, but I know it's in Mark. Um, and it failed to come out. And so they went to Jesus, and Jesus cast it out. And so they kind of took Jesus aside, and they said, okay, well, why didn't it come out for us, and why did it come out for you? And And... A lot of us can think about that and go, well, yeah, I've never really cast out a lot of demons or really hardly at all. And so, of course, I would go to Jesus and say, well, okay, well, you know, it didn't work for me. But at this point in time, the disciples had casted out a lot of things. I mean, they they had done a lot of miracles with Jesus or even on their own because he had sent them out to do miracles. So, you know, there was nobody else at this time in history that was as proficient at casting out demons other than Jesus as the disciples. So it wasn't like they were necessarily newbies at it. Uh, they had done it before, and so they fully knew that they could do it. They had done it. Um, so when it didn't happen, they were kind of perplexed. Why didn't it happen, and why did it happen for you? Thank you. Thank you. Mark nine fourteen through 23. Thank you. So what Jesus told to them is... Fourteen through twenty-three. Okay. Either way, what Jesus told to them, what Jesus told to them was, he answered and said, uh, "These kind only come out by praying and fasting, except for the fact that at that moment in time, Jesus had done neither." Right? He didn't stop, go pray and fast, and then come back and, and cast it out. So it's a little bit of a head-scratcher. Okay, he said they only come out by praying and fasting, but he didn't do any of those things in that moment. Okay? However, at the beginning of his ministry, he had prayed and fasted for 40 days. And I'm sure throughout other times he was in prayer and fasting and stuff like that. The point of it is, is that... When he was praying and fasting the 40 days, it wasn't to pray and fast against a current problem. It was to pray and fast to have breakthrough for future problems. Okay? Again, it was an offensive time, not a defensive time. He was plugged into that, I'm armed and ready at a moment's notice. So when a problem arises, I've already... Purchased, or I've already been armed with the solution to that problem. And that is a lifestyle that as we start to go out, or as we are going out, or have been out into these different spheres, is 
crucially vital and important that we are armed with the tools and the solutions for the problems before they arise. And and that that was the point of that whole verse as it got muddied up. Because we tend to pray reactively and reactionary, and again, that's not wrong to recognize a problem and say, okay, I, I need God's solution for this. But God's heart is that we've sought the solution to those problems so that when they arise, we've got the answer, we've got the tools. And then we can say, oh yeah, I've already prayed and fasted for this one. I already got that one. You know, It's like when you're studying for a test or when you're paying attention in the class and then you get to the test and you look at that problem, you're like, I already got that one. You know, It's kind of like that. That's what we want. We want the breakthrough that has already been paid for. Okay? We don't want to have to constantly be playing catch-up, to be getting caught up to where the current problem is at. We want to be there. All right. So going back to Matthew... Chapter 6. When it talks about here, and do not lead us into temptation. Okay, but deliver us from evil. Again, I want to I want to remind you that Jesus wasn't telling them to pray these exact words. He said, "Pray in this way," meaning pray in this heart, pray like this. This is a type of way to pray. Okay, but. A lot of times we take it as, okay, these are the words we have to pray, and not that they're bad words, but he had just been telling them not to pray like the Gentiles and repeat and repeat and repeat the same things. So therefore, he's not telling them you have to keep repeating, repeating, repeating this prayer, expecting the Lord to do it. But these are the types of things that you should be praying for, or these are the, this is the heart you should be going after, Okay. It's also in Luke, same thing, where he says, and lead us not to temptation. A prayer-filled life insulates us from temptation. That's another important thing. Again, as we go out, there is temptation, but a prayer-filled life insulates us from temptation. Okay? So it provides us with the answers already that we need and the breakthrough breakthrough or the problems that are out there. It insulates us against temptation. Okay? Right living flows from the heart. Okay? In 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about praying without ceasing. Okay? Praying without ceasing produces good heart health. Good heart health insulates us from temptation because praying without ceasing is immune in aligning our heart with God's heart. If our heart is aligned with God's heart, then we are insulated against temptation. If we have God's heart, if it's a part of our heart, then we are not going to be tempted when temptation comes because it's not going to be a temptation to us. Okay. If we don't have that permeating in our soul, in our spirit, and we allow a gap to form between God's heart and ours, then we have to fight war with our flesh to make the right decision, to fight against that temptation. 
So if you are going through a season or having areas where you're being tempted a lot, you need to get God's heart in that area, and that will not be a temptation. Sounds simple, but the flesh is strong, the spirit is willing, the flesh is strong, so it it's repetition. It, it is learning God's heart over and over and over again, that what, however long it takes, so that that thing is no longer a temptation, whatever that thing is. Okay? But, again, the way he taught us to pray, the heart with which he taught us to pray is, pray. use this tool of prayer, pray without ceasing, so that you won't be led into temptation. I think that's so amazing. I never thought of prayer being used that way. Offensively, again, it can be in a crisis. I'm currently crisis-wise being tempted by this thing. You have to help me, Lord. Okay? And that's not wrong. But it's meant to be, God's heart is, that you're praying already into things that you're saying, I don't even want to be tempted with that in the future. I'm not dealing with that now. I'm not struggling with it now, but I don't want it. Yeah. I want to be so connected with your heart that if that thing ever comes, I'm not tempted by it. If I come into a lot of money, I'm not tempted by greed. You know, if your provision and your storehouses are just rained down, I'm not tempted by that. If the church explodes and we're busting at the seams, I'm not tempted by pride. You know, pray into those things offensively so that you've already got the solution and the answer for when that day comes. And I've I've alluded to this already. The spirit is willing to pray, but the flesh is weak. Spirit over flesh indicates a dominant spirit and vice versa. So flesh over spirit indicates a dominant flesh. And we all have different areas in our life where we've got mastery over the flesh and our spirit is really strong. And then we've got areas in our life where that flesh is still pretty strong. But that is a good barometer for you to distinguish, okay, is the spirit strong in this area or is the flesh strong in this area? You know? And he tells us several times in the Bible that we need to get it the other way around. The spirit needs to have mastery over the flesh. And again, sometimes that sounds simple, but in practice, it takes practice to keep feeding the spirit and telling the flesh. You need to stop it, you know. But mastery over flesh is vital for an effective prayer life. Because the purpose of prayer is to obtain his heart. To pray from an area of relationship. Okay? In the Bible, it talks about servants versus friends. And servants respond to commands, which is not wrong. Again, if you're at a place where God gives you a command or gives you a thing to do and you do it, that's not wrong. That's a good thing. But again, his heart is for you to enter into. He's looking for a people that will enter into a place of friendship, of kinship, of family, all right, where you actually capture his heart by praying, because that's what prayer is meant to be. It's meant to be capturing his heart so that I'm actually praying the things he wants to see done, because that's what Jesus did. I don't do or say anything I haven't seen my father do or say. It's capturing his heart to the point where I'm doing and saying the things where he's done and I'm praying for those things continually in my life so that I can walk in that. 
All right. And so then when you're in that place, the design is God's design is that you've captured his heart so much that when you're in that moment, you're saying and doing the things that he would do if he was in your shoes, which just sounds mind blown. Right. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus was the example of that. He wasn't meant to be the only one that could achieve that because he laid aside his lordship. He laid aside his godship, became man and flesh to be an example of what can be achieved and what can be done. So that's his heart. Again, going back to the children, it is the heart of every parent that your children would get your heart in a matter so much that they do and say what you would do and say in those areas, in those struggles, in those in those times. If you have a solution for a problem, you would hope that they would be so in tune with your heart that when they when a problem arises, you would see them just master it and say and do what you would say and do in that arena too. And and in instead of having to break down and be in crisis and call you up and, oh, my God, everything. And, again, you honor that, too. You still help them, but you want that mastery, that heart. And that's what God wants for us. So let's take another avenue of what prayer does here for us. Second Kings 6. We're going Old Testament here. And this is just a cool story. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel. And he counseled with his servants saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. So the king of Aram wants to, is warring with Israel. He wants to go after the king. The man of God, Elisha, sends word to the king of Israel and says, don't go here because he's coming to this place. So don't do it more than once or twice. Okay. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you tell me which of us is in for the king of Israel? He's saying, which of you is a spy? Because how does the king of Israel know what's going on? My plans before I do them. So which of you is a spy? One of his servants said, no, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Okay, now I don't know if that servant kept his head or not, because I don't know about you, but if you're sitting there, if the king's saying, which of you is a spy, and he's going, no, his God is telling him what you speak. It's not one of us. Might be a little hard for someone to believe. He might have lost his head. I don't know. But so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and take him. And it was told to him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. All right. So, first of all, when we are in communion with God, when we are in communion with the heart of God, he can tell us the heart of the enemies, and it may not just be our enemies, it may be the enemies of the people we're under, our, our bosses, our, you know, our elected leaders, who, you know, whoever you want to put in that space, um, you know, you can tell you the words that they speak in their bedroom. I mean, that that's pretty impressive. That's pretty amazing. All right. He can do this for parents when it comes to the children. Right. Uh, yeah, I know. So, yeah. And I always have. If you do something, God's going to tell me. 
Yeah. So again, these are strategies that are necessary. But let's go on a little bit because I think this it, it continues to be cool here. Now then, the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out. Behold, an army and horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servants said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So here, again, let's just set this up. The king of Aram is coming after Israel. The man of God warns the king of Israel because he hears the things that are spoken in his bedchamber, his plans. God tells him the enemy's plans. He tells the king of Israel. The king of Israel saved because of all this, right? So then the king of Aram says, well, where is he? I'm going to go get him. So now now the man of God, Elisha's city, is surrounded by horses and chariots. So, okay, he, he helped the king be saved, but now he's surrounded. All right? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open the Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So again, (laughs) Elisha prayed and said, open the eyes of my servants because we don't need to be afraid. He saw all the horses and chariots of fire that was surrounding them. All right. Then he prayed again and he said, strike this people, the enemy, with blindness. So he, so he God, struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, to the enemy, so now they're all blind. He says to the enemy, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. Right? And he brought them to Samaria. Which is is where the king of Israel was, but they're all blind. They don't know what they're doing or where they're going. And he just says, hey, come on. So he then goes to the king of Israel, after he brings this whole army and army to delivers it to him, and he says, no, 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 don't kill him. Give him a feast. Okay? So he prepared a great feast for them, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master, and the marauding bands of Armenians did not come again to the land of Israel. I mean, this is incredible. Right? First, he hears from God the intimate words, the intimate plans of the enemy, all through prayer, all through a communion, being in tune with the heart of God. He saves the king of Israel that way. Now he's in danger. And he wasn't afraid. He just said, show my servant what I see. Again, he's in tune with the heart of God. I see the army of God surrounding the enemy. I'm not afraid. And he knew that God could do and would do what he asked. And he said, just strike him with blindness. He didn't say kill him. He could have. And maybe some of us would have said kill him. But again, that wasn't God's heart for that moment. God's heart for that moment was grace on the Armenian army. So he said, just strike him with blindness. And then he cooks up this amazing plan of literally delivering this blind army to the king of Israel And then, further plan, showing them mercy, feeding them, giving them drink, and sending them away. And it worked. They never came back. I mean, crazy. Crazy. But, Elisha the prophet was in tune with God's heart. And we hold him up as a pillar, which we should, but... He didn't do anything that isn't available for us. That was the whole point of Jesus coming. And throwing back the veil and opening up the door is that the ability to have that communion with God, that heart, uh, the heart of God in every matter and in every situation, the solution of God for every problem in every area. 
is completely available to us. Prayer is meant to bring about a collision of heaven and earth to change and shape the world around us. Okay? The Lord's Prayer, it's what it says. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That whole line, that whole heart, that whole way of praying, no matter what you're praying for, your prayer should be, as it is in heaven, do it on earth. So, God, whatever your heart is in heaven, I want it here on earth, is meant to collide and change the world around us. Okay? In Acts 3, it, it talks about how we're all to be prophetic. Okay? doesn't necessarily mean we all have to be prophets. We're all to operate in some capacity in the prophetic. Okay? Being prophetic is purely speaking, hearing and speaking what we see or hear God doing. Okay? We're all called to do that. In Isaiah 59, it talks about seeing and hearing what God does, speaking it, and that is then something that our children's children's children will be able to do. It is a legacy, being prophetic, operating in the prophetic. Again, not necessarily being, quote-unquote, a titled prophet. If you are, that's wonderful, but it's not about the title. It's about just how you're operating, your lifestyle, the heart that you're getting from God, what you're speaking and hearing, what you're operating in. That ability to operate in that is meant to be something that is passed on and on on. It is a legacy, okay? A prayer-filled life helps us to build a legacy that we can then give to our children and our children and our children. They are meant to inherit this. They are not meant to have to fight for it, figure it out, discover it. It's meant to be something that is passed on and on and on. Okay. Acts chapter 12 in verse 1 is where this story starts here. Herod grabbed a hold of John. Oh, sorry. James, the brother of John. Grab James, the brother of John, and put him to death as he was coming against the church. The Christian church, not the Jewish church. Um, so he grabs James, the brother of John, kills him, saw that it pleased the Jews, so he goes ahead and grabs Peter too. Says, hey, this is making me popular. I'm just going to keep doing this. Okay, so Peter gets four squads of soldiers. They're guarding him. They put him in chains. They throw him in prison. They're doing all this stuff. Okay, the church starts to pray. After James dies and Peter's captured, the church then starts to pray. Okay, and you can read through this whole story. I'm I'm not necessarily going to read it word for word, but the heart of it is an angel then comes to Peter, you know, kind of nudges him because he's sleeping, wakes him up, knocks the chains off, opens the door, leads him out. Peter doesn't know if he's in a dream or if it's real, but he's just going along with it. He finally gets outside of the jail and kind of into the streets and out of the city, and then he comes to himself, realizes this is real. Okay. He then goes to where the people are praying, knocks on the door, Servant girl comes out, freaks out, because it's Peter, doesn't open the door, just freaks out, knows that it's Peter because she hears the voice and knows that it's Peter, freaks out, runs back inside. They all think she's done lost it and thinks that maybe it's Peter's ghost that she's seen or something. Uh, he keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. They finally come out and, and see who it is, and they're all amazed. 
there's lots of things you can get from that story. But in the vein of what I'm talking about today is prayer completely changed the atmosphere. All right? It doesn't specifically talk about if anybody was praying before James got killed, but it certainly makes a point to highlight that after James got killed and Peter got captured, the church started praying. And it changed the atmosphere. It changed the outcome. Okay? God can bring victory out of tragedy so well that people will think that that tragedy was his plan to bring about change. And it's not that God doesn't utilize tragedy, but that doesn't mean the tragedy was his will or his plan. All right? So what we really need to do is we need to be praying for the breakthrough and the solutions and the everything so that we can live in peace. In 1 Timothy 2, it talks about praying for our authority, people in authority over us, so that we may live in peace or a peaceful life. That's really God's will. All right? God's will is that we don't have to have martyrdom. We don't have to have tragedy. We don't have to have crisis that we are then then stirring up and praying and then God does this amazing breakthrough and we go, oh, it was this tragedy that really spurred it. And, you know, yeah, the tragedy was horrible, but thank God that it, God's plan is really that we have a peaceful life and that we pray for, with intention, those in authority, those around us, So that we have a peaceful life. So the non-praying church had a friend that died. The praying church had a friend that was delivered. But I, but I want to be careful here. Because our goal in prayer. Is to seek to know God better. His heart. His ways. Everything, his plan, not necessarily praying for a specific answer. Does that make sense? If we are constantly praying for a specific answer or solution and not just to know his heart better, then it can lead to unbelief. Again, if you look at the Lord's Prayer and he says, pray in this way, he gives generalities. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We know his kingdom is good. Okay? We know that it is his heart to have his kingdom here on earth. That's what he set up in the garden. His kingdom, his communion with us, that was his original intent. We know that that's good. We don't always know the exact way that that looks. You know, give us this day our daily bread. Okay? We know that a God is the God of provision. And that giving us our daily bread is a provision. Whether it's finances, whether it's food, whatever it is, whatever that provision is, again, it's about God's heart. It's not about physically praying for bread every single day. So if you're there, then you're there and pray, please pray for the bread. But it's about God's provision. His heart is about providing provision. And I dare I say, you're praying today, give us our daily bread, about tomorrow's provision, not necessarily today's provision. You're opening the door for the next provision to come. Okay, again, if we're praying offensively into the future, we're praying for the future provision. Okay, but God's heart is provision, but we don't always know how that provision is going to come. Okay, so the heart is that we're praying for provision. Because we should have no lack as God's people. That's his heart for us. But we don't always know what that looks like. So to pray for a specific answer 
can lead to unbelief and disappointment. And it's not wrong to say, God, in my head, this is how this should go. (laughs) In my head, this is the answer to my problem. Or this is the answer that I think I'm looking for. And maybe it is. Maybe that's a God-given word of wisdom and knowledge, and maybe it is. And you can pray into that. But we need to be careful that we're not constantly and consistently praying for a very specific answer because then we can get disappointed and it can lead to unbelief. Okay, what we need to be looking for is getting revelation of his character through prayer, and that is an invitation to know him better. Okay? When God provides for you in a particular way, maybe it was the way you were thinking, maybe it wasn't, you come to know God as your provider. That's his heart. That's his character. So then when the next thing comes down the road, you're not worried about it because you know you've already had the experience in prayer. You've had the experience in your life and you can say, God, you're the provider. Give me this day my daily bread. I don't know how you're going to do it, but do it. I know you're the provider. And you're not tossed and turned by it. You're not praying out of crisis. Because you know his character. So answered prayer is an invitation to his character. But it's his character. It's a relationship with him that he's after. Not the specific answer. Okay? We need to pray passionately, not out of pain or need, but out of passion to know him more fully. So again, I don't want to give the impression that we shouldn't pray passionately. I'm not asking us to pray dispassionate prayers for whatever answer may come in the future. You know, God, you've got the answers, just do it in the future. Okay, dispassionate prayers don't move anything. Okay, so I am taught, I do, we still need to have passionate prayers, but we need to move out of passionate prayers out of crisis. You know, I'm I'm weeping and and tearing my clothes and putting on sackcloth and ashes and praying out of, you know, fear or, or crisis mode. And I'm praying passionately for knowing his character for breakthrough for the future. All right, so we need to shift our passion from pain and need to a passion to know him more fully. In that verse, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The word willing there can be translated, it's really two words, but combined it can be translated into an eager pursuit. So we read that and we say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we can sometimes, it almost doesn't capture what really, when we translate it to English of willing, when we think about being willing, sometimes it's kind of like, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Yeah. It's like, you know, Lord, if it's your will, I'm willing to have it happen in my life, you know. But that's not really what it means. It really means I'm willing Okay, the spirit is eagerly pursuing and going after the heart of God. Okay, it's an eager pursuit. And that's really the willingness that we need to have. Not just a laissez-faire, Lord, if it be your will, you know, if you want to see revival, I'm willing to help out, you know. We need to be spiritually alert through prayer so that you won't be caught off guard, okay? We won't be caught off guard by the devices of the enemy. We don't need to spend a lot of focus and time and attention on what the enemy is doing, but we don't want to be caught off guard by it either, okay? We go into those spheres... We start taking ground. The enemy's not going to be happy about it. We know that. That makes sense. Okay? But we don't need to spend a lot of time sitting here warring in our brain over, okay, what's the enemy going to do next? What's the enemy going to do next? We don't need to be enemy-focused. We need to be God-focused. 
But a part of being God-focused is being spiritually alert so that when he says, hey, I heard the enemy say this, don't go there. You're like, okay, I won't go there. The enemy's going to go there. Okay? It puts us on guard. It puts us praying for the solutions to the enemy's plans before they occur. Okay? So we not we don't want to be caught off guard. And we want to have a heads up on what is coming. And also so that we won't fall for temptation. Or even be interested in it. Again, we want to be insulated from temptation. Because the main thing the enemy tries to do, besides discredit and discourage us, is really throw us off track. You know, hey, look at this shiny thing over here. Go that way. You know, and if our flesh is strong and our spirit is not as weak, if we're discoordinated there, then that can happen. All right, last scripture verse. I'm going to throw at you this morning, and I know I've thrown a lot. John 17, verse 22. Because I think this is another piece um, that is going to be vitally important too. The glory, so this is this is where Jesus is dying on the cross. He's kind of giving his last things here, his last final statements, if you will. He says, the glory which you gave me, he's talking to God, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you, or love them even as you have loved me. So we talk about this a lot, you hear about this a lot, as far as the unity of the church, okay? The unity of the church won't come to the level that he's praying for. I, you know, you and me and I and you type unity purely by human works towards unity. We can talk about unity. We can talk about what that means. We can look at what in the corporate world they do for corporate unity and read all the books on it and do all the different fun exercises on unity and trust falls and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? We can do all that stuff. And not that that stuff is bad and not that we shouldn't purpose towards getting to know one another better and getting to operate in unity. That's all good. But the true, you know, I and you and you and me and the the real combined unity that needs to come comes from the glory of God, the present. That's what it comes from. That unity so tightly that... You can't help but operate in it. Um, I can't be mad at you. I can't hate you. I can't want spiteful things to you if I'm in the presence and operating in the glory and the presence of God. It just can't. It, it can't happen. Okay. So, again, as we, and I, I use the universal we here, we as this body, we as bodies connected to other bodies within the church, as we look to purpose to go after the spheres. We need unity. Okay? And, and, it, and it even talks about in here that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. It's a shining example. That perfected unity is a shining example. Okay? But unity is not a product of working hard to have unity. It comes from the manifest presence of God. That manifest presence of God is what we are after in our prayer life. It is the heart of God that we seek to hold on, grab hold of and incorporate into our day-to-day life. That is the presence of God. Right? That presence of God then also produces unity within the body. All right? I, I've given a kind of a smattering of different things about prayer, but I hope that you've picked out the highlights 
that really are designed to push us towards the heart and give us tools to change our mindset out of always having to wait for a crisis to occur. And they do come. I mean, you don't have to wait long a lot of times, depending on, I mean, I know I don't (laughs) have to wait long before I can find a crisis in my life that I want to pray fervently against or for or whatever. But God is not wanting that. He's not wanting us to be Elisha's servant that's running around going, oh, Master, what are we going to do? There's an army out there. Um, That's not, he wants us to be the Elisha. He wants us to be the one that, that says, oh, poor servant, open his eyes so he can stop, you know, wailing and being afraid. You know, that's who he wants us to be. He wants us to be friends, sons and daughters that see the heart, that capture that heart, that see with eyes of understanding for the solutions. He wants us to hear what the enemy is doing as the enemy is saying it before they've implemented That's what he wants. He wants us to walk as Jesus walked having the solution already at hand. That demon-possessed individual walks in, I got this. And it's not I, it's God in me that has this. But I've already spent time in my prayer life, in my walk with him, that I know his heart, I know what I've already paid for through prayer and fasting and sacrificing already in my life. I spent that 40 days in the desert already for the solution for this problem right here. I've got it. It's like when you have a savings account and the car blows up and you're not happy that it blows up, but you're happy that you already got that savings account. Here you go. No big deal. I'm not running around going, oh, Jesus, where's the provision? I need the provision. I've got it. Here it is. Mm -hmm. That's what it's meant to be. Father God, I just thank you that, um, that you are so good and that you want us and desire for us to have your heart so completely that we can walk boldly, we can walk confidently, and walk by faith. But not a blind faith. A faith that comes from knowing the heart and the character of you. And that heart and the character of you is having the solutions. Having the provision. Having the answer and the glory on us already, ready to go for any situation, in any situation, for not only our life, but for the body of Christ and the world at large. You are what tears down strongholds. You are what provides blessing and provision. You are what changes the heart of man and destroys the works of the enemy. We just want to co-labor and operate in that. So I thank you, Father, for this word in Jesus' name.
I was listening to the word. Again, it's another one of those words that you could take and you could break down and just eat bit by bit. There's so much to apply. But I was reminded that at the center of it is Lordship. Because it's you can't apply all of these wonderful nuggets if, 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 if you don't have Lordship or if he doesn't have Lordship, right? And so it, it's a call, you know, if you're sitting at home or, or, you know, even here and you've never made that decision for Lordship to give Jesus everything, you know, that's where this amazing life of prayer starts. Because otherwise... Listen, I, I know people all around me and they walk into the clinic all the time and everyone prays. Everyone prays and everyone prays out of crisis at a minimum. Even if they don't come to church, even if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because it's like, well, it's like, it's like buying a lottery ticket. Well, it can't hurt anything. Maybe I'll win. Maybe he'll show mercy. This God whom you serve. But to live this life effectively requires lordship. And so I want to invite you into that this morning if if that is a new thing to you. And I want to invite the rest of us just to a point of resubmission. Because it's easy to say, yes, Lord, I give you everything. And then, you know, as... Things get kind of tight. We go, oh, but Lord, you don't look like you're doing a good job over here. And so we take things back. Oh, Lord, it doesn't look like you're being real effective here. Maybe I should manage this and so on. And and we take back lordship. Communion is a wonderful time to just resubmit ourselves and just say, Lord, I give you everything once again. And so I, I encourage you, I encourage us to, to do that because it's from that spot that we find the unity Matthew was talking about. It's from that spot that we can then go after him, after his character, to know his integrity, to know his glory, to know his manifest presence. It's from that place that we can see breakthrough before we need it, before it becomes crisis. So, Jesus, we just thank you so much for your glory. We thank you so much for your finished work of the cross, which is glory. Your death for us, that's how much you loved us. Your resurrection, your coming in power. So that we could live this life. So that we could not only know you, so that we could carry you, be carriers of the light, be carriers of the presence to a lost and dying world. Because this is why we're here. So we just come to to you this morning and, and we remember, Jesus, what you've done. Your death, your resurrection, the blood of the new covenant. Your blood shed for all of us. And we just plead that blood upon us afresh and anew once again. For the forgiveness of sins. But also for the hope of glory. For the hope of a lost and dying world. For the blood of Jesus. Let it cover us. Let it go everywhere with us. Let it just spray and splatter with every hand we shake around every person that we're around. The blood of Jesus is covered them. They too might know you as Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite those of you here to come with your families um, and receive here at home and you, you can come on up even as I'm speaking, if you like. If you're at home, um, I encourage you to you know, make some time, if not right at this moment, to get some elements, the bread, the wine, the 
and, and to do this. Receive the blood and, and body of Jesus. Remember him. Remember that sacrifice. And if you don't know this Jesus of whom we speak, I encourage you to go to arkgenoa.org. And there's a Meet Jesus button. And, and that is your key. That's the key to this work. Is meeting Jesus, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, knowing his love for you. So we're going to sign off here. But I'm telling you, there's just so much more. So be blessed. You guys have a good week. And um, after you've received here, um, if you are in need of prayer, stick around and we'll gladly pray for you. Amen. Amen.